0: Hey, Pacer fans. I'm Miles Turner, and here's the Sideline Guys Podcast. And we welcome you here Wednesday late afternoon here to the Sideline Guys Podcast. Alongside Jeremiah Johnson, I'm Pat Boylan, and what a roller coaster, I guess, the last couple of weeks have been. From Indiana's perspective, you watch Victor Oladipo go down, you learn it's a season-ending quad. We had a podcast just off of that news they lose four in a row, and all of a sudden, you know, you're wondering how this team is going to be able to adapt a little bit without Victor Oladipo, I thought, I think you and I both had a lot of confidence in the veterans on this team being able to get that done, but in the wake of losing four in a row, I, I think some people had started to question that. Then all of a sudden, we come to you now, winners of three straight, and not just three straight, a 42-point win over the Los Angeles Lakers on Tuesday, and and look, clearly there are issues there as well. I think when you beat a team by 42, it kind of takes both parties uh, aiding in that. That said, it was a, a really masterful performance by the Pacers last night without Victor Oladipo, and maybe, if anything, you know it's a good example to this team that I think they had shown a couple of times before that in those previous two wins that they can, you know, grind out wins and eke out wins and just do enough to beat the Miamis and the the Pelicans without Anthony Davis's of the world. Maybe this is a good example that, you know, when they're on and if they do the type of things that they want to do on the floor, they can have games like this. They can have the blowout style of wins they had with Victor Oladipo. What were your thoughts of of watching last night and really this whole transformation of the last couple weeks?
1: It was just great to see the Pacers that we saw the first time that Victor Oladipo was injured be able to come to life. Because you did wonder, even though they had won the last two games, they weren't the kind of wins that gave you this great confidence about, oh, if they're in a playoff series or if they're matched up against an elite team, how are they going to fare? You beat Miami in a game that (laughs) might be most memorable by the fact that it was an 11-11 fourth quarter. It was a defensive slugfest, as Popeye Jones said at halftime and accurately called. And then you had the game against New Orleans, where at times you're wondering, who does New Orleans have? What do they have to play for? And you kind of hold on for dear life and win by two points. So even though you'd won two games in a row, you were still looking for that feel-good performance, that confidence-boosting win. And I mean, I just keep thinking back to so many different aspects from the victory against the Lakers. And I think you've got to rank it up there with the top, you know, two or three wins all season, considering the circumstances, the win at San Antonio, I thought was very impressive to win those two games against Utah without Oladipo was big when Detroit came to the field house in December. And that was an absolute, um, di- the Pacers just dismantled the Pistons and then at Philadelphia. I mean, those right now just off the top of my head were the biggest wins of the season, but to basically put away a Lakers team that had been rested, that had LeBron James back, that is trying to get back into the playoff picture, um, it was just great to see. Boyan started it, Miles continued it, and then almost everyone that played made a significant contribution. And I think that um, everyone in the fan base maybe was having the same doubt. I think as some of the players, is this season over? Now you know that's a that's an extreme statement. No, the season is not over, but you do wonder when you have when you start thinking about. Eastern Conference Finals and challenging the Bostons, the Torontos, the Milwaukee's of the world, and you lose Oladipo, and you just kind of look a little bit lifeless, to be honest, at times in that four-game losing streak, you just wonder, you know, what, what, what's the point? And I think you saw last night, there is still a lot to play for. This team can play the kind of basketball they did during the first stint with Victor out. They've got plenty of life in them, and I just think it's great to go into the re- remainder of this homestand with that performance.
0: And you know, really, I, I understand the frustration and the, the questions and, and, and all that came with that four-game losing streak, and and that was so rare because the Pacers hadn't even had a three-game losing streak since the end of 2017. So in a lot of ways, the fan base had been spoiled by the fact that the Pacers were just so remarkably consistent with Victor Oladipo, and then all of a sudden, Victor goes out, and then you have this losing streak that you never had with him. So I think the questions, to a lot of extent, were fair, and I think the Pacers still have to answer some of those questions. I don't think necessarily three wins in a row all of a sudden um, you know, shows that. they are a complete team in the way they need to be able to play the rest of the way. This was a fantastic example on Tuesday of what they did over the Lakers. And it's funny, again, you you look at national tv and all of that and this is the top story right now and of course it's centered around the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers because of the Anthony Davis trade and because of the blowout but you know it is kind of there's an aspect of this that is nice because in one way and and I know that the Lakers struggling is the storyline not necessarily the Pacers dominating but part of me is like, you know, the Pacers didn't get a ton of media coverage before. And then Victor Oladipo goes down, and then any that they were getting went away. And it's, it, I don't know, it's kind of nice to sit up in the office where we have an array of TVs up, and they're on the different sports channels. And it's, it's, it's nice to look up and pretty regularly see Pacers'
1: highlights. You knew, though, that the storyline would not be Pacer-centric. and then The of one course. thing everyone is talking about. I'm just about, saying I'll it. take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, did, I almost took a picture, and I don't, I'll apologize in advance for having first take on my screen at home but I did see the little graphic where they had LeBron on one side and they had uh, a picture of Miles Boyan and Domas on the bottom right hand side of the screen and I'm wondering when was the last time they ordered their graphics department to put that trio up and I don't know that they actually mentioned any of the Pacers by name during their discussion because they were just talking about you know LeBron and the Lakers and what they did wrong but you know, everyone that watched that game has to know there's a reason why they lost by 42 points. And it's the team they played You know, put together a fantastic performance, and it's the kind of performance that's a little bit anti-NBA. I mean, these shows, they talk about stars. And the Pacers star was watching in South Florida. I mean, that's Victor Oladipo. It was just a, a team effort. You can feel good about it, and you can admit that the way that Nate McMillan preaches about playing the right way, making the extra pass, it does pay off. And if you play that way, you do have a chance against a superstar team, against a Western Conference you know, team that really has playoff aspirations. So a Western Conference playoff type of team with LeBron James is someone that, you know, I thought it was kind of a toss-up going into the game just because of LeBron coming back. They had a sense of urgency, and the Pacers were coming off this four-game road trip and playing on the second half of back-to-back. I wanted to ask you something, though. You know, every time the schedule presents a difficult circumstance, you know, in the last three or four years, where I feel like I hear a team say, well, they were in the host city and they were relaxing in their hotel room while we were playing a game on the road. It does seem like the, <laughs> the one that has the obstacles to overcome, they do it. So it's almost like the, the players need that little extra bit of dig down deep. You've got the odds stacked against you. You're going to be tired, and I love the fact that it was against the Lakers. It wasn't a matchup against the Cavs last night because uh, the current Cavs. Because you knew you couldn't let up, and I, I didn't see one time that I looked out there and thought, "Oh, so and so's tired." You know, maybe maybe one play. You know, like a couple times when it, when a shot was was off, but you shoot 57 percent. You shoot 56 percent from three. Nobody was tired. Uh, you know maybe the talk before the game was guys needed some healthy food because they've been eating New Orleans food for the last two days. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it was just – it was awesome to see. And I think it's a good – perfect time to do another podcast, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's kind of an interesting point. And, and I brought up, you know – the natural scheduling disadvantage that the Pacers had. I mean, there might not be a bigger scheduling disadvantage than when you play on a long road trip and then have to come back home and play on a back-to-back. And it happens from time to time to every team. And I was talking to that about Mark Monteith on our radio pregame show, and he... He said he went and looked back at I think the last three or four times that the Pacers have had at least at least three road games and then ended that road trip on a back to back. And he said this before the game um, that Indiana was either three and zero or four and zero during those scenarios. And they had one a couple of years ago against Portland, a game where they got down by like twenty and came all the way back and won. And they, they looked terrific. And and I really never noticed. In fact, I thought the I thought the it was just remarkable how much more energy the Pacers had than the Lakers. And here's somebody I give a lot of credit for that. And when you look at last. Last night's box score. There are so many things that stand out. Uh, Miles Turner's 22 points and four blocks in just 22 minutes. Stands out. Bogdanovich's night. His first 10 points of the game were all were Indiana's first 10. 24 points on the night. Thad Young plays 24 minutes and nearly has his first career triple-double. Sumner with 17 off the bench. Holiday was 17 off the bench. Sabonis was 17 off the bench. A guy I really want to give a lot of credit to is Darren Collison. We're off of the opening tip, and, and I'm not sure how important this is, but it really stuck with me because it, it caught my eye when it happened. The opening tip, Lakers win it. It gets into LeBron's hands and he kind of lofts it oddly kind of high into the backcourt to Rondo and it, almost like he was shooting it and as that ball was in the air Collison kind of saw it and he ran up to Rondo and right when Rondo caught the ball this is off the opening tip of the game Collison was in his grill uh what 60 feet from the hoop and I thought okay that's that's a little risky uh, especially a lot of times the way you watch guys guard Rondo is to sag off of him because he struggles to shoot but Collison was right up in his grill he guarded his him well. Rondo kind of got to the basket, got a decent shot off and missed. And, and, And I'm probably oversimplifying things here, but that was almost in a way to me a statement of Collison saying hey this is the kind of energy that we're going to have tonight and you do wonder if a play like that if you watch Darren Collison who's 31 years old and coming off a back-to-back and if he's willing to sit up in Rajon Rondo's grill and guard him for 60 feet a point guard who is really really quick for 60 feet on the first play maybe that's something that fires you up and I know that you and I talk about Darren and Thad in this regard a lot and that look Thad's statistical line was fantastic and, and in January he's had a lot of big games but these guys sometimes you know Darren Collison 5 points 5 assists he did a four steals uh sometimes these guys do things that don't get caught in the stat book but that that first possession really stood out to me cuz i was kind of thinking it kind of took me aback. like, Why are you guarding him so closely? But now that I go back and look at it and look at the game in its context, I say, you know, that was probably Darren trying to send a message to everybody else. And again, when you watch your veteran point guard do it, there's no reason Miles Turner shouldn't be able to do it, Boyan Bogdanovich, and of course some of these younger guys off the bench.
1: And to that point, I wanted to spotlight Thaddeus Young because the way, when the game started, LeBron James was guarding Fad, and I was watching how much he was making LeBron work. And I think in this... LeBron era we've seen especially in the regular season he doesn't like to have to work as hard on the defensive end he likes to maybe sag off a little bit provide some help defense and every time down the court Thad was kind of muscling up he was trying to post up LeBron he was trying to kind of get a little bit of contact in and on the other end sometimes he was the one guarding LeBron the other times it was Boyan Bogdanovich and I love that combination because they're kind of different but they both have that same mentality where We're not going to back down. We're not afraid of you. We respect you, but we are certainly not afraid of you. And so I I just think they made LeBron work. LeBron didn't work much in the fourth quarter. He didn't play in the fourth quarter, but that was because of kind of the the beating, the pounding, the entire Lakers team took and that aggressive mentality. You hear Dan Burke say it all the time, hit first. And and I thought the Pacers hit first on both ends of the floor. And I've thought when I've been thinking the last couple of weeks about this team and what they're capable of, I did think defensively they had games like this in them because you've seen it. You know the fundamentals, the principles that Dan Burke preaches. And there are going to be some games when teams are just not in it offensively, and the Pacers can really take advantage of those teams. I've always thought teams that turn the ball over or don't take good care of the basketball, it's the best matchup. You know, there are some who, you know, look at certain players and say it's a mass matchup disadvantage and the Pacers struggle against them. I think for the most part, if you turn the ball over, then it's a good matchup for the Pacers. They got 19 Lakers turnovers, So defensively, I thought they could do this, but I was starting to question whether they could have a breakout offensive game without Victor Oladipo. Now, you know, they had some of those games in late November and into December, but I was just Recency bias. You lose four games in a row, you see them score eleven points against the Heat in the fourth quarter. And to be honest, there were times in that last two weeks that you just you watched the Pacers offensively and you thought, Ugh. And Boyan Bogdanovich, to me, and it was what Miles told me was the difference, just got this team so much confidence to start the game. We always see him almost have a play drawn up for him on the opening possession. I'm shocked teams aren't aware of Boyan back backdoor or a little on bank <laughs> shot off the glass to start the game. But he did that, and then he followed it up, and he scored the Pacers' first 10 points. And really, once the Lakers called timeout then, and I saw the vibe in that huddle, I just kind of knew this was contagious, and then it did. It spread to Miles Turner. It spread to Thaddeus Young. And then the guys off the bench said, you know what? The starters are going to do the job, and then we're going to continue it. And so it was just a confidence-building win, it's it's impossible to play a game like that, I think, again Thursday night, and that's the only thing I worry about is sometimes when you play too good, then you just – it's tough to repeat it. But I'm looking forward to seeing the confidence they can carry over into Thursday, especially on the offensive end.
0: I want to look forward and move on from this Lakers game here soon, but one other point I wanted to make, and, and, and this was, I think, mostly because of circumstance, part one, the Pacers – were pretty much in control at this point and part 2 uh, it came during the break between the first and the second quarter. But wasn't it interesting how little of fanfare there was for Lance Stevenson's return? And I don't I don't mean that necessarily as making any sort of stance on Stevenson or the fan base by any means. But that was that was like kind of in some ways, maybe the overriding theme coming into the game. And Walton kind of casually checks him in between timeouts so, or between uh, the first and second quarter, so there was no chance for really the crowd to have any sort of ovation. And the Pacers were so far ahead, early into that second quarter, they start pulling away way and Lance kind of had his Lance moment I I thought it summed up kind of Lance a little bit that stretch where he uh he steals the inbounds pass makes a nice hustle play and then jacks up a transition three without his guys down there and it barely hit the back of the rim and fell off but it was just interesting to me how much discussion that was before the game and then you know you almost forgot about it as the game was going on and I think most of that is probably a credit to how well Indiana was playing.
1: I think early on, Lance maybe didn't want to do too much. He didn't want to look like he was trying, just kind of wanted to fit in, which is so not what we're used to seeing from Lance, but it was interesting. All of a sudden, Lance is in the game. Nobody really reacted. I thought when he came back in, it was the appropriate reception for Lance. You can argue there could have been a little bit more because of how much the fans love him. They're never going to boo Lance, even if you know so many other players, you get that initial round of applause and then... And then you're booed. And I think that's the way it was for Lance when he first came back with the Charlotte Hornets. But he is a different player. He meant a lot to, to a lot of these fans, a lot of them personally. I saw some folks on Twitter saying things like, you know, he means he has helped me through a dark time. He provided me entertainment when I needed it. He plays the game so hard, and we appreciate that. So, And I thought, I haven't seen this, I'm not sure in my time, but I I saw Kevin Pritchard right before we went to interview Miles Turner go down, and he was congratulating all of the players as they walked off, which is, you know, that's that's not usual for a regular season game. I thought he was proud of his team, but he also wanted to be sure to shake Lance's hand and have a brief conversation with him. And I thought that was pretty important, and I was glad to see that, and, you know, I was Selfishly, I was glad that it wasn't, you know, a spectacular Lance game. But you did see even flashes in the second half when the Lakers were down. He was still trying hard. Now he was trying to get rebounds that might not even have even been his. But he did <laughs> he did score thirteen points, and he was playing the entire time when some Lakers had given up.
0: Lance trying to get rebounds that aren't his. That doesn't sound like. <laughs> I've got about a thousand different directions that I constantly want to go with this because there's so much to talk about and this is uh, not maybe at the forefront but I want to say it now because it's on the top of my head I think if you were to rank the thirty NBA teams based on how often, if they have a fan section, it makes the Sports Center Twitter account. Uh, I think the Pacers are probably number one. And, and look, I know, I know that's all fun and jest, and that's not part of our job or anything to taunt opposing players. But uh, I, I'll give the fans a lot of credit because. I was asked by somebody in our our marketing department, and and they're asking, uh, you know, they they were working during the game, so they were up in their office, and and they're just asking what the environment was like down on the floor. And I said, you know, part of this is is what LeBron brings every single game, but it kind of felt like a playoff game. It kind of felt like game six of Pacers and Cavaliers um, in, in that it was a loud arena. You could tell it was more than just your typical regular season game. There were. LeBron fans in the crowd but the Pacers were able to you know keep them quiet with their level of play and and James never really got going anywhere near the level that they needed him to and the Pacers took care of everybody else uh but but I was really impressed you know there was the the fun part with the the Brandon Ingram and all that on the foul line and the in the Um, fan sections but I I just wanted to quickly give a shout out here before we transition because I think the fan base has done a really nice job and this is an adjustment for everybody Uh, those in the building uh, you know adjusting to still having that same level of excitement post Victor Oladipo I, I think they have continued their part up throughout this transition as well
1: very well said I'm curious though with you and your broadcast how much you and Mark were talking about it because I did feel you know I want to apologize even to some of the viewers. You know, I probably should have made a bigger deal about uh, the great work of the fan section during the game. It wasn't quite as obvious to me what was being said as maybe it did appear in some of the social media recordings and I know Mark's a little closer to where that section sits um, than anyone on our broadcast so i to be honest, uh, our producer Max Linewand, at one point asked me what they were saying, and I tried really hard to make it out. And then I kind of just said, uh, I'm not 100%. And unless you really know, you definitely don't want to report on that. I didn't really, right. <laughs> I did realize it was <laughs> going to take off like it has today. But uh, you were always, you know, monitoring social media, I think, better than I am during the game. So you you had a. Did you have a grasp of what all was happening during the game?
0: Honest honestly, you know, it, it is funny how you can sit in a different part of the arena and and maybe not be able to tell quite as well because I've kind of got a running chat that is between me and uh, three other people that are in the Pacers social media and digital So Department. maybe I
1: need a, maybe I need to get an invitation to this chat.
0: <laughs> well, here, here's what here, here's what happens. They their seats are in that uh, you know between the first row and uh, the first deck and the second deck between the lower level and the they sit like right by them. So they're always talking about them. And sometimes the things that they hear we can't hear. I when it started, I was sitting there with Benner, David Benner, the um, head of PR for the Pacers, and and. And we were both trying to figure it out throughout the whole chant. And At the very end, it was actually uh, Benner who figured it out before I could. So it wasn't quite as it wasn't quite I thought as audible and able to make out as the John Wall one. And I think that's just part of uh, the nature of their names. <laughs> right. But once, it's sort of like once you see an optical illusion, you can't unsee it. Right. Once, once I figured out what it was, and once those guys in digital confirmed for me what it was. Then it was pretty funny. And, and look, there's a balance. And, and what I love about that balance is I think that's, that's, good, clean, harmless fun. It's poking fun at the other team. It's maybe making them think about it. Brandon Ingram admitted he, he heard it. Uh, Bradley Beale, I think, admitted he heard the John Wall one when he was at the line. So it, it's not as if the players don't notice this, but it's also not to a point of where it's over the top or it's getting, you know... There's still a game going on, right? Or anything like that. Yeah. Right, right. I I, th- I give those those fan zones a lot of credit because that is not easy to um, organize, you know, those chants in, in unison and... and it added a fun element to the game. Like I think if you went to the game and you, and you're a dad and you brought your kids or a, or a mom and you brought your kids, uh, I think maybe you know that would be kind of a fun aspect to you know explaining to them what they're talking about and what that chant is and and all of that. I, I just thought it, I, that they do such a good job of of their chants and not making them over the top but making them fun. And then to their credit, like they've been on the Sports Center's Twitter account I think two or three times this year. So.
1: I think we're going to have to maybe have a sponsored segment on Fox Sports Indiana where I come out of the break in the second quarter, and it's the fan zone chant of the night, and uh, we can make sure we update all the viewers. So uh, I'm definitely going to be more aware now The John Wall hates you. That was very obvious to me what was being said, and I think Chris and Quinn yeah. actually mentioned that during the broadcast. But uh, <laughs> just quick apology to some of the viewers. Um, but it is one of those things when you watch a game and you cover a game, you know, sometimes – you kind of miss a little bit, or it's just the the story of the next day isn't necessarily what was the story of the night. And the story of the, of the night was the Pacers' performance. But obviously, everything Lakers-related is what carries over to the next day.
0: And some of those microphones in the arena are closer than, <clears throat> than we are, too. So that helps pick up sometimes even some things that you and I courtside can't hear. Um, okay, we're about – halfway through this, I want to get to some of the, your impression on some of these NBA trades that have happened and, and talk about trade deadline as it relates to the Pacers. A couple of other notes that I wanted to make real quickly that stand out to me. We are in still very small sample size land for the month of February. For the Pacers, it's just three games, and no team in the NBA has played more than three games in February. So small sample size, but this, I think, here's I have two things that really stand out to me is why I have a lot of hope for what the Pacers can do the rest of this season. In December, the Pacers were the top defensive team in the uh, of the, in the NBA in the month. In January they were 23rd and that wasn't just because Victor Oladipo went out. They were hanging around the low mid 20s for most of the month of January and They struggled on defense after Vic went out in the same way that they often struggled on defense when he was in in January. Just three games in, some teams have only played two. A couple teams have even only played one. But in February, right now, the Pacers have the number one defense in the NBA. Their defensive rating is 96.7, which means they give up uh, 96.7 points per 100 possessions, which is obviously very good. And if you go back to the month of December, uh, in December they were number one in the NBA at 99.6. So under 100 is a fantastic rating in that, and that's where the Pacers are. And again, it's just three games, but I think the defense is so important, even more important now because if if you have these strong defensive nights pretty regularly, you're going to be in games, you're going to win games because of it, and knowing you don't have a 20-25 points per game score, I think that is much more important than it used to be and the other one and I was much less worried about this but I I'll admit I was kind of jogging it around tossing it around in my head was DeMontis Sabonis because post-Victor Oladipo injury his first five games he really struggled he was under eight points per game he was shooting 33 percent and it's so jarring when he struggles because he is the most consistent player on this team here Thaddeus Young I think is the most consistent player on this team you could throw Boyan in there this year as well but I mean he is almost night in and night out somewhere between 12 and 18 points somewhere between 8 and 12 rebounds and shooting somewhere between 45 and 70 percent so to see him really struggling with his shot to me I started to wonder you know I hope this isn't because you know he was that reliant on a Victor Oladipo in the screen and roll and I didn't think that was the case but it's been really really good to see him have two very strong games each of these last two um Sabonis has uh, looked like his normal self he's been shooting back around 60 70 percent he's been in the upper teens he's been bringing down rebounds uh, I, I guess those are just a couple of statements things that stand out to me
1: uh, any thoughts from your end on on those couple of things definitely would like to follow up on your Sabonis comment You know, every night I talk with Nate McMillan and I have four or five questions. I'm kind of bouncing around and there needs to be a little bit of a flow to the conversation. It's usually two and a half to three minutes. And so there's not time to get real in depth. And it usually starts with something about the previous game, a little bit about, you know, the next game and maybe some specific players. And and I was thinking after the loss to Orlando that, you know, should I ask about Demonte Sabonis? Because he's had a little bit of a rough stretch here. And I almost felt guilty with Nate McMillan because I thought, you know, I don't want to point out the fact that, that Domas has had a bad week because we've, we've seen him be so awesome this entire year. In fact, so awesome to the fact that you just took for granted his, you know, 14 points and 10 rebounds almost every single night. But I did feel like the Orlando game... You know, if he makes two or three shots, that's a win. And then everything would have just felt differently, you know, going into the Miami game. So I said, do you think that, you know, DeMontis Savonis is tired? And he just kind of looked at me at a smile and he said, he's doing exactly what we want him to do. Those are good looks. They're just, you know, he just missed some. And uh, and uh I said, okay, you know, I'll take you at your word at that. And I think even Quinn during the broadcast had mentioned that he thought maybe he was tired. And I was kind of thinking, The All-Star break will come at a good time. Last year at the All-Star break, he, of course, was in Los Angeles and participated in the Rising Stars Challenge. So no real responsibilities. I thought it'll be good. Just get him to the All-Star break, and we can have a rejuvenated DeMontis Sabonis at the end of February. Well, we saw a rejuvenated DeMontis Sabonis the last two games. Had the double-double against the Pelicans by halftime, and then continued to terrorize second-unit centers last night against the Lakers. If you get that consistency, and I guess I'll go back to Solid job by Nate McMillan the last couple of weeks, maybe the last week, tweaking lineups and rotations. I thought uh, to beat the Heat, he had to go back to his starters early in the fourth quarter because the bench was not getting it done. He did that at about the 10-minute mark. And then, just behind the curtain just a little bit, they were supposed to have practice on Sunday in New Orleans. That was part of the schedule. But then he had to play the starters such heavy minutes, he knew he needed to win that game. And I think the only way he thought he was going to win that game was to get you know, his guys back in there and play most of that fourth quarter. So they called off practice on Sunday in New Orleans. They did have then a shoot around on Monday morning. And then, you know, he still didn't like the way they got off to a start against the Pelicans. So he decided to go back to Tyreek Evans in the starting lineup. And I think maybe as much as anything, it's to get Corey Joseph back to the second unit because I think he's more confident in what Corey can do to get, you know, guys like Aaron Holiday and Edmund Sumner and DeMontis Sabonis going because if you just have Tyreek, Aaron, Edmund, Doug McDermott's out, so you've got TJ and Domas, it just doesn't have that same flow as if you put Corey in there. And you don't need as much from Corey with the starters or scoring anyway, so it was fine there. But I thought that was that's the Pacers' best lineup with what they have right now. Start Tyreek Evans, he can provide... You know, good defense, he can do what he needs to do, but he's not relied upon to be a go-to scorer. But you get Corey back in there, getting that offense going, getting good looks for, you know, Aaron Holiday and and Edmund Sumner and Demonte Sabonis. That was a a solid switch, and and Nate McMillan didn't really reveal that until right before the game. But you can tell he's evaluating things, and I think unfairly on Twitter sometimes, fans— are critical of Nate for getting too rigid in his rotations. I haven't seen that at all this year. I mean, I in the past I did see I did think that, and uh, nothing against Frank Vogel, but I can remember some of those playoff series specifically. How about that Raptors series where yeah. you, you you kept the bench in too long. I I just haven't seen that this year. I've seen him make adjustments. I've seen him go with Sabonis down the stretch instead of Miles at times. I've seen him do a number of different things, riding the hot hand. And I thought he made some solid adjustments last night, and even as far back as the Miami game and to help this team have a three-game winning streak.
0: No, I think that's all accurate. It's all true. And uh, I think McMillan, I think coaches probably never get enough credit when they're playing well and they always probably get too much credit when they're playing poorly like to be honest I I look at Luke Walton and go man like (laughs) this guy is probably you know it could end up being a scapegoat for all of this and and look at what he's dealt with and meanwhile you know when he took over the Warriors for Steve Kerr he was like 28 and 1 or something but I think those are those are really good observations about Nate and I think you know just his kind of personality you know he's not somebody that's um, real fiery he's not you know, uh, outlandish or super outgoing. He he can be when he needs to be in the huddles, but I think part of that kind of leads people um, to pay less attention to him, and I don't think he cares. But I think when you've seen what the team did last year, you see what the team did this year before Victor Oladipo went down, and then you watch how Indiana has adjusted after that first uh, little lull after losing him. I think he deserves a lot of credit. All right, we are taping this. Right now it's about 2 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday, which means we are 20—when's the trade deadline? 3— 3
1: p.m. Thursday,
0: 3 p.m. So 25 hours from now, uh, we are at the trade deadline, which means it's possible you're listening to this after moves have been made since we've talked about them. Maybe even the Pacers are one of them. Let's talk Pacers in a minute. There have been two pretty significant trades and Anthony Davis has not been traded. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about the one. Here I am. I I don't sleep well. I (laughs) I have woes notifications on. I kind of roll over 330, turn on my phone, see a handful of notifications and see like 13 things from woes wonder what's going on and and for some reason the sixers and uh, i guess maybe because the clippers are on on West Coast time. But they pull off this trade at like 3 o'clock or something this morning. But anyway, it's a big one. Uh, Tobias Harris to Philadelphia. The Clippers receive Landry Shamit, who's the first-round pick this past year. A 2020 first-round pick uh, of Philadelphia's. And then a 2021 first-round pick from Miami, which that one could have a lot of value. And then two future second-round picks. And both of those are from Detroit. It's it, it Probably this trade as it relates to Philadelphia depends upon... Tyreek Evans, or excuse me, about Tobias Harris and Tobias' ability to re-sign with Philadelphia. If they get him back, then he's probably worth these things. If not, that is a lot to give up uh, for a guy if you only have him for the rest of the season. Two first-rounders, a one with Miami that could end up being very high and a couple of second round picks. But from Philadelphia's standpoint, they are a lot, I think more well-rounded than before this trade. Tobias Harris, not many people realize a 43% three point shooter this year. He's been over 40 each of the last two years. And that's been one of Philadelphia's biggest questions, that three point line.
1: Yeah, I've been impressed with Tobias Harris for a number of years. I've always thought he was kind of one of the more underrated players in the NBA. And I, am fact, in fact, our game preview for Pacers and Clippers. I just realized we need to redo this, or at least uh, take it out of the rotation, because Eddie Gill and I always look ahead to the next opponent. And we had a graphic up featuring Tobias Harris, and I called him one of the most underrated players in the NBA. So selfishly, from a Sixers as a Pacer rival perspective, um, you know I'm disappointed because I think it does make Philadelphia better. But I'm still, I'm still into the chemistry experiment and what's going on in Philadelphia, and I'm confused about any bit of adversity that they face not that Tobias Harris will be a problem type of player but I'm not convinced that Jimmy Butler is capable of um, contributing and not causing problems if teams lose games or if he doesn't get enough shots or any number of things and then you've got the personalities with with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid I guess if you're going to get another star player it does look like Tobias Harris might be the perfect fit because from the outside looking in, he's kind of a guy that does his job. He's almost a Pacers type of player that he doesn't make waves. He, you know, keeps his head down and and his shots and plays good defense and go down the line. So I think it does make Philadelphia better, but for the times that there are benches in the game, and I guess I'll be interested to see, you know, I think teams can, can alter their rotations and play starters with bench players and they can get by. We've seen a number of teams do that over the years. So If Brett Brown decides, you know, Tobias Harris is a starter, but he's going to play a lot of minutes anchoring the bench unit, that's a good thing. Or maybe he has Jimmy Butler do that, where Jimmy Butler is the go-to guy on a bench unit, even though he's actually a quote-unquote starter. So I think it's a fascinating move. And I love the fact that you hear all these moves speculated on Twitter, and then one that is huge no one sees coming. And I think that we see that all the time. And that's one thing you need to – take into account, sometimes after the trade deadline comes and goes, and if the Pacers are not mentioned or do not make a move, fans will say, well, see, they were never even in on anything. They weren't even talking to anybody. Well, did you know about the Clippers-Sixers trade before it actually happened? How many other trades like that are at least being discussed? It's better that the Pacers keep things kind of to themselves because you don't want everyone in the locker room knowing about things. And to be honest, I don't think they're actively searching to get rid of any of their players. And and we've said before, when we have discussions about trades, we don't know anything. We're not providing any inside information. We're almost, you know, having a conversation as a fan would, but none of the players on the Pacers roster, you know, deserve to be just bandied about in trade rumors. If it comes where it's a close call or they are going to be, uh, you know, moving forward, I trust the organization to let these players know they all, they would understand it's a business, but I guess I think it's fascinating that the big move happens and nobody sees it coming. But yet all anyone wants to talk about is Lakers trades, Celtics trades, Anthony Davis trades, because those are, I guess, the uh, that's what gets clicks. And sometimes these reporters, and I'm not blaming them, but it's their job to create headlines. And I feel like sometimes it's their job to work on behalf of said agents or teams as public negotiators. What, What say you?
0: No, I think I think that's all really accurate. In fact, we have this discussion almost every year with Mark Monteith, at least on our radio side on, on Pacers Weekly and and from time to time on the pregame show. He has mentioned before he can't think of more than maybe like one or two deals that the Pacers have made during his long time covering the team that were even reported or even talked about before as it relates to the Pacers they probably do a better job than any other team in the NBA at keeping that stuff away from mainstream which I think is a really really good thing I mean look at what the Lakers are going through right now I mean you could here's something I wondered what if what if New Orleans is really frustrated at the Lakers in this situation I mean remember the Pacers you know wanted them to the NBA to look into tampering with the Paul George situation and what if New Orleans feels that the Lakers have been tampering and, and what if they have no absolute uh, intention of dealing making a trade with the Lakers at some point what if they don't like Brandon Ingram they don't like Lonzo Ball enough and they're willing to write Which out I Anthony think is very Davis. possible to the very end. Or at least make a trade somewhere else. What if they're just dragging the Lakers through the mud right now because they're mad at them and they can? I mean, couldn't that scenario be a fact? Okay, let's talk these guys, let's talk these guys and make their offer come up and up and and, and, and put all of these different key players in there like Ingram and Ball and Kuzma and Hart and, uh, and, and Lance was in one of them and Michael Beasley's in one of them. I mean, it's like almost two-thirds of the roster and then just say nah we're not doing it and then all of a sudden I mean look at the Lakers you got them all over ESPN you've got that picture that's gone viral of LeBron sitting on the bench and three seats to his right before you get the rest of the guys and then the coaches and then Rondo's for some reason in the Hollywood seats I mean I mean the, the Pelicans could just be wreaking havoc here and and just doing it uh, you know to get back at the Lakers that's all just a theory of mine but I mean look how much those deals getting out to the public can potentially due to a team the Pacers played awesome on Tuesday night but there's clearly some dysfunction at least on the court at a bare minimum last night uh, for the Lakers so if anything that is a a big reason why it's good that these Pacers rumors never get out and and who knows maybe they could surprise you here coming up in in the next 24-25 hours you look at Kevin Pritchard's history with the Portland Trailblazers. This was not a guy that was afraid ever to make a deal that he felt like could improve the team. But we also saw that same Kevin Pritchard not make any moves last year at the deadline because he felt it was the best thing for the team. And I think that Proved to be absolutely right, so I think he's got a pretty good pulse. I I think what your statement that you said a minute ago was probably dead on. I don't think there's I don't I don't think Kevin Pritchard is actively looking to move anybody on the roster, but I also think he is probably 365 days out of the year and 366 on leap year, <laughs> trying to figure out a way that he can improve the team. And if that can come in a deal that maybe wasn't foreseen, or or maybe is something that's happening that doesn't make its way out to Woj or to Stein or to Shams or whomever, I think he's willing to look at that as well.
1: My question to you, to maybe put you on a little bit of a spot, but not a difficult question, is do you think after last night's performance, do you factor that in as you debate, not necessarily maybe a move prior to 3 o'clock tomorrow, but maybe um, acquiring someone from a, um, you know, someone that's been cut uh, waiver wire pickup possibility. The Pacers, you know, I think it's it's obvious to watch this team over the last two weeks and say they could have an issue at the two guard. They need a little more scoring. Now, if Tyreek Evans is the player they signed in the offseason or the player we've seen in flashes this season, then you think they're equipped to handle this, and then you say maybe do they need a backup. But then you saw last night what you know Aaron and Edmund were able to do, so you don't know for sure. Last night is a great performance, but moving forward, they could have a need for another proven scorer, do you think that there is at least some addition to the roster before March 1st?
0: (laughs) It is the, uh, (laughs) the, the, what is it? The $64,000 question. Uh, I'm really struggling with what I think is going to happen in the next 25 hours.
1: My, my. Because I'll probably be getting asked that from JMV today. So I want to know what you had to right. say first.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's, that's fair. I actually, um, I was going to go on, uh, what is now, what are they calling the show with Jeff Rickard and Big Joe? The ex Grady and Big Joe show, whatever. Jeff and uh, Jeff and Big is,
1: Joe. Come on. Two J's.
0: Is, is that what it is? Yeah. I, I haven't had a chance to listen. Jeff and Big Joe. Uh, so Jeff Rickard has taken over from Michael Grady in the last couple of weeks. And they actually asked me to come on this morning. Had, uh, a bunch of the Fever coaches in town, and, and had some Fever interviews to do. And, and while I like Jeff, and and I'm David Deering, I'm a big fan of. He's the producer over there, and I like Joe. I was okay not being on 28 hours before the <laughs> trade deadline. So, so yeah, I, I I will answer this for you because I. But I there think is you're no moratorium,
1: so you're not going to get in trouble for what you say. We just right. we clarify right. this that we're not leaking any news of any consequence.
0: Exactly, and I think we said on the last podcast, and I hate to burst anybody's bubble because we get asked about this probably more than anything, around this time tomorrow, I guarantee you I'll be sitting in the office with uh, Woj Alerts on my phone, with ESPN on the TV, and we'll be doing the same thing (laughs) that you guys are doing and, and watching any move potentially unfold for any team. If you were to ask me, I would say my if i had to pick yes or no i might just slightly lean toward no but i i do think that that pritchard is, that kevin pritchard is potentially fairly involved right now i just think the the original question was about d- does last night's performance change anything my gut to that is always no because i'm not even sure if you you lose those first four and then if you drop two of the next three instead of winning all of them i'm just not sure a week's and a half's worth of games really changes the direction. I do agree that if, if a move is going to happen, I think it probably is a wing. And I think it's probably a wing they feel like can score um, and and probably shoot the ball, at least at a decent level. Um, but I, I, I think, I, I don't know, maybe we disagree a little bit on this. I think that Kevin Pritchard, is he, he's willing to improve the team right now. But I'm not sure he's willing to do it and sacrifice any future asset to do it. I I think he would rather let Edmund Sumner get some valuable time, stick with Tyreek Evans, then lose a potential asset that he could use in the off season or take on especially this one. Especially take on a bad contract that's going to handicap them in the off season as well. I don't think he has a ton of interest in doing that. So I think if a move is made and it's in regard to this, my guess would be that it's somebody that they would hope to keep beyond just this stretch run or if they can, you know, help a team out as a third team in the trade, I think that's a possibility as well where they don 't have to give away a future asset and they can you know allow salary dumps to happen if if that 's necessary. maybe that 's a way they could get something done too. My gut is just that um you, you know kevin pritchard i don 't think he wants to relinquish any of his assets on a rental but we will see I I mean you could make the case that if they could get a rental you know that could make a significant difference then maybe that changes their playoff fortune too so every time we discuss this I'm I'm really glad I'm not <laughs> I'm not a GM of an NBA team because while while they are obviously fantastic jobs there's so many there's so much pressure and every time I start to talk myself into one thing I start to talk myself into something else
1: and we become, you know, connected to these players well the front office is as well and and their families and I do think it would be difficult for guys you become close to that you appreciate everything that they do saying in the middle of a season I think everything in the off season I think players understand that, but it's harder in the middle of the season. If you have kids, maybe they're in school, families that you have to, in one day, move or make arrangements. So I think that's tough, but I do think that that's what players sign up for. It's the NBA, and and you understand that, and for every negative, there could be a positive. So I'm interested to see what happens. I do think that there could be a need for a little more scoring, a little more punch, and that's why... express my concerns offensively kind of with this team until last night so we'll see what happens but I, I do think that if everyone's healthy I, I like what I've seen the last week and I'm I'm kind of more confident about the rest of the season than I was in that four game losing streak obviously breaking news there right <laughs> <laughs>
0: Certainly, but I, I you know, I think I think what this team has done is I think, you know, the if you will, the roller coaster was going down the hill for four games or so against Miami and New Orleans, they kind of got on stable ground and then I think the hope is here. Look, Los Angeles might have some other problems going on. I don't think you beat a team by 42 without a little help from them as well. But look, even if you beat them by 20, by less than half of that, um it's a fantastic game and I, I think gives this team an ability to have some confidence going forward that, look, they they don't have to grind out, you know, two-point wins over New Orleans or hold Miami to 11 points in the fourth quarter to win. They can win these kind of flashy games, too, and there still is, you know, a lot of talent on the roster and an ability to score, and And this is a team that, you know, right now is sitting at 16 games over five hundred. It's 35-19. and 19. They didn't just get there because of Victor Oladipo. In fact, Oladipo, I believe, has now not played in about, Uh, 19 games this year so uh, that's that's a little over a third of the season so this is a team that's gotten it done in other ways too and I think that's an important aspect to this and I think I think they knew that but I think until you watch it happen for you I, I don't think you can gain the confidence from that and so that's what I think I'm hopeful for here in the next handful of games the rest of the season that you go back to this you know needing to eke out one in Miami and hold them to 11 points and then hold on against New Orleans for dear life and then the Los Angeles one or maybe it was where the dam broke and look there it's going to be probably an up and down rest of the year i mean there's still going to be some struggles with this adjustment but you hope that This is maybe the turning point. Maybe we look back when we're talking in, in mid April and doing one of these as we preview a playoff series and said, hey, remember when they started February, those first three games of the month, maybe even the first four or five, whatever of the month, and took care of business, and that's when things started to turn around. You're hopeful that's what we're talking about. And, okay, so you have five straight home games coming up, four before the All Star break, and you know Philadelphia is doing a move to get better but as as you mentioned i think they've helped the pacers out a little bit by pulling tobias harris off of la right before the pacers play the clippers and then it's saturday at home versus cleveland monday at home versus charlotte so you know there's two very very winnable games right there and, uh, and you still have five straight at home. So not only do I think these first three games could kind of turn around their fortunes and their confidence, but you could potentially build a handful of wins together here and remain right in that discussion for one of those top four seeds. I don't think that's necessarily out of the question. I mean, right now the Pacers are tied for third, and they're ahead of, I, I think, Philadelphia, um, who, is, who is in fifth and a half game or, or a full game back.
1: Maybe this is the best—no, I'm actually going to stop before I even finish that. I was going to say this is a good thing for the Pacers. It's not good what happened, but the underdog mentality has fit this team pretty well. And I think over the last couple weeks, when we go on the road, often talk with other broadcasters, other media people, and almost every stop, I've had someone come up and say, man, uh, I'm just so sorry about what happened. And, you know, there was this feeling that, as I mentioned earlier, the season was over. You were finally getting some people to mention a top five in the East and not just a top four, and then when Victor went out and the Pacers lost to the Grizzlies, yeah. and then they lost to the Warriors in a blowout, people kind of said, oh, yeah, well, now it's back to a top four. And you know what? It could still be. I mean, as I talked with Steve Clifford in Orlando, and I asked him a question about you know teams being able to overcome the loss of a star player, and he, I thought he had some really good perspective, but he said – players are not dumb. They understand. And before, when he was hurt, you knew he was coming back. But they know the impact that Oladipo had on that team. And as much as they want to tell themselves sometimes it's okay, we can kind of rally around each other, you know without your star, it's going to be very difficult. But if you have a couple more games like you had last night, you can be convinced, you know what? We can be a serious threat in the playoffs. And I... You know, I, I almost feel like uh, I'm looking forward to tonight having the night off on Wednesday, but I almost want to see this team play again because I'm just curious if they can put another game, not not a 42-point win, but if they can play offensively the way they played, you know, for that game and, and over this homestand, if they can win for the next five, and I don't know, it's just, it, it gets me excited a little bit, and I do think it can be this kind of Prove everybody wrong mentality that they fed off of all of last season and it can continue. And you know what? I'll ride with Thaddeus Young. I'll go to bat I'll go to war with Darren Collison. I I like the guys on this team. I like the way they fight. I like the way they believe in each other. I like the coaching staff. I like everything about them. I was down last week because I just wondered if just kind of the magic from really the two years, I was wondering if it was starting to leave. And and they bring you back in and I'll tell you what, I don't know that we we didn't discuss a pick three. Maybe we can uh, table that until the next one. But uh, it's been good to have a little conversation with you again, Pat. And sometimes it does feel like we have these chats after after good wins. Some of, some of that may be by design. But, you know, it was time for us to talk again and a lot of good things to talk about.
0: I, I would reply to that, but I think that is just about perfectly said, and I think that's probably a pretty good way to wrap this up. So we'll uh, we'll be along with you for the ride over the next, uh, Well, by the time this gets out, we'll be under 24 hours away from the trade deadline. We'll see if the Pacers have any moves to make. And Pacers' uh, pregame coverage on TV and on radio begins at... 6:30 but yeah it was good to in fairness we did schedule this podcast we didn't wait until the lakers <laughs> win to schedule this we we did we did schedule it yesterday so it was off of a couple of wins but we did not know what was going to happen hey it was
1: a busy road trip we were uh you know that was that was a tough road trip not just for the players but for the broadcasters as well. And that's what I think made last night even more impressive, knowing what they were able to overcome. And, and quick shout-out, I think, as we go. I don't know that we'll give this the justice it deserves, but I did want to give a shout-out to some of the under-the-radar, the, the behind-the-scenes people that kind of make this organization go. And last night we were in the locker room, and there was a, a funny moment. that <laughs> I was wondering
0: if we were going to get to this.
1: <laughs> so I, I I start the story by saying there are a number of people in the organization that make this kind of a special group to be around that, that rarely get the attention they deserve. And for this one story, we will just um, give our props to Josh Condor, the equipment manager. And and you think about the job of an equipment manager, it, it is what you would think it is for the most part. You have to make sure every piece of equipment is with a team at shoot around. It gets off the bus at the hotel. It's there. It's packed up and ready to go when you leave again. Then you got to make sure the laundry's done as well. Sometimes you get in at 3 in the morning, and when we got, I think it was, to Orlando, Josh said he was going to the arena right then. Well, we got it to Orlando after the game against the Wizards at between 3 and 4 in the morning. I mean, that was, last night's back-to-back was tough. That was even worse. It was a road-road back-to-back. It was very, an 8 o'clock start, similar to an 8 o'clock Eastern start in the Pelicans, So this was a tough week. And I think there were probably a few sleepless nights for Josh. And the other thing he's got to deal with right now is there are five different uniforms he's got to mix and match. And it's not just the uniform. It's the tights. It's the socks. It's, it's the headbands or the arm sleeves. They kind of all have to match. And so we're in the locker room during the open media time. And guys had already started to get ready. Some had warm-ups on. Some had their city edition uniforms on. And country comes in and... <laughs> And is in full freak-out mode, and I think I would be too if I was him. It'd be like if I, you know, 10 minutes before a show realized that I didn't bring my suit and had no tie with me. Then what would I do? (laughs) He said, I I got the wrong uniforms. We've got to wear the earned edition tonight. And those are at the St. Vincent Center. So he's spreading out, went down the hallway, and uh, it was just kind of comical. And it did lighten the mood a little bit in that locker room because the players all love and respect country, and for all the things that he does that nobody sees, They could tell he was in a little bit of panic mode, but they were kind of telling him to calm down. It's okay. We'll figure it out. We've got an hour till game time. Um, And what do you know? When that game started, everybody had the right uniforms, socks, uh, wristbands. And, uh, you know, it was a good, I'd say it was a pretty good uniform change to me.
0: I think Kyle O'Quinn said, well if anybody can pull this off, it's country. And then uh Boy- Boyan went over and like gave him a bear hug and started giving him a noogie as he was running around all that. So yeah, who knows, man. Maybe we should give country the credit for lightening the group up right before tip off Yeah,
1: because I you know, I'm sure they were a little tired and it, the entire locker room was just kind of smiling and laughing and just feeling good. And, you know, to be honest, I'll I'll make a uh I'll make a declaration here. I'm I'm happy to switch the city edition uniforms out for the earned edition every single night. So um, let's just go earned every time that the schedule says it's supposed to be city.
0: Hey, it worked once. It could be kind of like that FloJo magic from 2014. (laughs) Even though they are basically the same uniform. Yeah, yeah, but they're
1: one's white white and one's gray. (laughs) All
0: right, well uh, that'll wrap it up for this week on the sidelines. Shout out,
1: country, Uh, awesome job. Keeping this team yes. in line, keeping the clothes clean, everybody looking good, and keeping track of the uniforms, and this was not meant disparaging in any way. Equipment Manager of the Year and his staff, uh, great job.
0: And just think about how much more difficult his job got uh, a couple of years ago when they went from, you know, they, they like doubled up their <laughs> the amount of jerseys that that were available. Exactly. So uh, his, his job doubled in difficulty a couple of years Go. all right he's Jeremiah Johnson I'm Pat Boylan if you're watching or listening to this before Thursday's game he will begin on the TV side at 6:30. radio coverage at 6 30 as well of Pacers and Clippers five straight games in the field house as of the recording of this one Pacers.com slash tickets is how you can be there we will talk to you next week on the Sideline Guys podcast